Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. When the pandemic started, a lot of churches moved into online education, doing online worship services, online Bible studies, uh, all kinds of online events. And frankly, uh, some of you are wishing that all of that would go away and you could just get back to normal. Well, as I've talked with you about on the podcast before, the new normal is that almost every church and ministry organization is going to need some kind of online community, online education, online worship in order to continue to do its ministry in this era of the 21st century. So today, we're going to talk about doing effective online education and building online community in your church. And to help me do that today, I've been, I'm joined by Dr. Kristen Ferguson, who is the Director of Online Education and Associate Professor of Educational Leadership here at Gateway Seminary. Kristen is a real expert on online education. She wrote a textbook entitled Excellence in Online Education, Creating a Christian Community on Mission, published in 2020. I consider it the textbook for church ministry leaders on this subject of online education and building online community. Kristen, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You have helped us build a world-class online learning program here at Gateway Seminary. Our accreditors singled out our program and gave us a specific commendation for it during our last accrediting cycle. Uh, describing it as having the best practices of uh, continu- of uh, online education for really any school, anywhere. And I attribute a lot of that to you, Kristen, so thank you for your hard work on behalf of Gateway. Oh, thanks, thanks. Now today, though, we want to shift gears a bit and talk about what are some things that church leaders need to know and can do to be more effective at online education, and can build online community in their ministry. So let's talk, first of all, about online teaching. What are some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses of this kind of an approach to education? That's right, yeah. So with online education, uh, we really have to understand the environment that we're entering into and the distinctive features of that environment. Uh, there are going to be strengths, and there's going to be limitations, as we're all aware of. And I think, I think we're all more aware of the limitations than we are of the strengths. So some of those weaknesses or limitations are going to be things like, you know, you don't really want to eat with somebody else on a Zoom meeting. That's just not super enjoyable. Um, So sharing a meal together is not as possible. Or um, for instance, in some of our classes, maybe we have some project that we're working on together that requires like manipulatives or we're building something together physically in the class and you just can't do that. Uh, Our hands aren't in the same place. And so doing that in in the same way is, is not always possible. Um, and also, um, some of the community, uh, community is, is challenged by the distance and there are aspects of community that have to be intentionally planned rather than spontaneously, uh, experienced. You know, another weakness that you've pointed out in your work is that some people are just afraid of technology and in spite of how pervasive it's become, they have a, a negative attitude toward technology. That's so right. do you see that also showing up in ministry context? Especially in ministry context. I think with online education in a higher ed situation, if you join an online class, you know what you're kind of getting into. You know you gotta you muster up the strength to get into the technology and figure it out. But with 
a ministry context, um, you have people who are truly afraid of uh, maybe they're going to not mute their mic properly or they can't figure out how to troubleshoot their video. And those things you don't have to deal with when you're in a physical room together. Right. And they're very frustrating to a person who doesn't know how to do those things. So you've pointed out that there are some weaknesses to online education. And one of the things that you have to do to effectively lead it is to address how to overcome those weaknesses. That's right. For example, uh, you mentioned about, you know, shared activities. My wife has been leading for almost two years now, a zoom based children's Sunday school class for our church. And almost every week she mails out a a small envelope to her small group of children. Now I realize you can't do this with hundreds of children, but our churches that we're attending is relatively small. So she sends it out to the children in her class so that they receive it and they can open this package, pull out the activities. And then over zoom, she actually coaches them through it. Same thing with the uh, issue about not knowing how to work the technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that we even did here with our board of trustees, when we first started meeting by zoom is we had you come in and actually lead a short seminar for our trustees on how to use Zoom, the program that we selected for our meeting. That was so helpful because quite a few of them really didn't know how to do it, and they felt so much stronger about participating in the meeting after you did that. So I think you're saying that there are weaknesses, but then we have to be proactive at addressing those weaknesses and not just allow people to wallow in their frustrations about them. That's right. I think uh, uh, Mrs. Orge's strategy is demonstrating where there's a will, there's a way in that way. And uh, when we're adamant to make it work, we can find ways to to leverage that uh, medium. Another thing we've said a lot here at Gateway is uh, people say something can't be done in the online world. And we say, no, wait, it hasn't been done. That's, That's right. a different thing. Right. Uh, we often think something can't be done because we really haven't thought through how could we really do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way of approaching some of these weaknesses is trying to get at uh, how do we do them, not what, whether they can be done or not. Well, you also mentioned that there are some strengths. Uh, Kristen, when you think about online education, what are some things about it that are particularly helpful or particularly Uh, beneficial, maybe even some things about it that are even better than an in-person instruction opportunity. Yeah, I, I, the first thing that always comes to my mind is just our capacity to reach people. Uh, That, it, it just can't be understated that this not requiring people to be in the same room at the same time means that we can reach people who are in different places. And I just see that so deeply aligned with the Great Commission. That's what gets me excited about online education. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, for for people to reach beyond barriers uh, that would like some people just aren't comfortable coming into a church. Mm-hmm, that's right. Uh, and, and so having an opportunity where they can stay in their own home and just jump on a Zoom call or they can log into a website and check it out. It's like that first barrier doesn't need to be a barrier anymore because they can access it on their terms. You know, we had two instances about this in our church. One, we had a woman who had been attending our church and then the pandemic happened and she stopped attending, but she sent a message to our pastor saying that her husband was watching the online service with Hmm. her every week. While he would never come to the church, he was curious about what was being taught and what was uh, the, what his wife was learning and about his own relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so her message back to our pastor was, 
If you do resume services, I may not come back quickly because I want to continue this process of worshiping with my husband who's willing to do it by this media. Another example wasn't so much online learning, but this was fascinating. For a while, our church here in Southern California moved to the park next to the place where we were meeting and had our services outdoors. We noticed and later got acquainted with the neighbor who lived across the street from the park his wife told us that he would go outside to wash his truck every mm. Sunday morning when our service started <laughs> so that he could listen to the music and the sermon without having to actually come to the church. Yeah. So I think your point is well taken there. This, this capacity or opportunity to break through barriers mm-hmm. really does exist in online delivery and online education in ways that it hasn't ever been available to us before. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another issue. Uh, When you get into online uh, meetings, online education, online worship services, you run into something that uh, has been described as Zoom fatigue. What does that phrase mean and what can we do about it? Yeah, Zoom fatigue became kind of a popular term when we were first all entering into the pandemic lockdowns. And, you know, this is when, you know, at work you're on Zoom meetings all day long and then you're Zooming with a relative because you can't physically meet with them. And then you're Zooming something else. It's just your life is on Zoom. And uh, whereas in real time and in real place together, when you meet with people, that can be time-consuming and sometimes exhausting, but there's a new element of fatigue that happens when you're staring at a physical screen and you're looking at light and you're, you're trying to figure out how to turn on your mic or turn it off and all the technology that comes with it where it just adds another heavy layer of fatigue. And so the longer you're on Zoom, the more you don't want to be on Zoom. Right, and we right. have to account for that. So one of the solutions to that is to try is to think differently about the time frames allotted yeah. when you're doing something in an online context. For example, uh, a, a worship service might last uh, maybe an hour and 15 minutes in a live context. In an online environment, you want that to be much shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bible study might last 45 minutes or so, or even an hour in a church context. In an online world, maybe 20 minutes. Or maybe doing it in two or three segments of 10 or 15 minutes with a break in between, Mm -hmm. or someone stepping away and doing some reflection or reading on their own or thinking about that. That's right. And, you know, and even if it is an hour-long situation where you're on Zoom, a really good practice is to break that hour up into different activities where you're not just listening to one person speak the whole time, but you're listening to maybe someone speak, and then you're going to interact in a small group breakout setting, and then you're going to look at a video or a PowerPoint on Zoom. Some variety of activity can help that fatigue and, and battle that fatigue. I've watched you do this here at Gateway as you've coached our faculty and helped us to develop our curriculum. You know, I think one of the worst examples of online education is someone uh, being told to watch a video and write a paper. That's just about the worst thing that you could have assigned to you. And quite honestly, there's a lot of schools out there doing that. Gateway's not one of them. And we're not one of them largely because of you. But you've helped our faculty to understand there are so many different ways to teach in this environment uh, using, as you said, live instruction, uh, having people read and work through tutorials, letting them play games that help reinforce the information that they're learning, 
helping them to break into groups of one or two or three, or excuse me, two or three or four, and talk with other people about what they're experiencing, uh, teaching for a few minutes and then taking a break and saying, okay, let's all take five minutes, go get a glass of water, think about what we've just talked about, and then we'll come back and discuss it. Things like that really do prohibit or prevent this thing called Zoom fatigue. And and that kind of creativity is what you're advocating as people put together how they're going to do these online learning experiences. Absolutely. I think that helps a lot. Also, Kristen, these things that we're talking about uh, really don't take money. They really just take time. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a high commodity for a lot of ministry leaders, but these kinds of, uh, 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 creating these kinds of learning experiences rather than just depending on I'm going to sit down and talk for 45 minutes and my class is just going to sit there and listen, really do make the difference on whether online education is an effective means of uh, communicating in a church context. That's right. And I think um, the more you can get teachers talking to one another, uh, that also helps a lot because uh, it is kind of hard sometimes to come up with those creative ideas. But when you talk together and you think about the goal, uh, the goal of the class and the goal of the Bible study and, and what you want to achieve, you can start being a lot more creative with your, your methodology. Well, in your writing, you also talk about something called transactional distance. Now, that sounds like fancy language that we'd only use in a school context. <laughs> yeah. Transactional distance. What is that, and why does it matter in helping to think through how to do better online education? Yeah, transactional distance is a term that uh, was developed early in online education studies. Um, so I didn't make it up or anything, but this is a term that uh, describes the psychological distance between a teacher and a student because of the physical distance. So that means that if you and I are at separate ends of the country and we're discussing things, there's more opportunity because we're not physically present together. There's more opportunity for us to misunderstand each other or uh, not fully communicate well. Or I only see, you know, you in the square in Zoom rather than your full person and your hand motions and things. So miscommunication, misunderstanding or taking someone's tone wrongly, more of that is possible because of distance. And so we have to account for that when we teach online. That's good. That's good. And so your, your, the, your physical distance from someone and the difference of the communication modality really does make a difference in whether they can understand and interpret what you're saying to them. You know, back when I was doing doctoral work, I read a lot of studies about the uh, discipline and practice of listening skill development. Mm. I was working on developing listening skills for personal evangelism. That was my project in my, my, uh, my studies. What I learned through that was how much of interpersonal communication is nonverbal, mm-hmm. how much is related to body language, facial expression, tone of voice, context of how you're using your space where you're teaching or communicating. I was astounded by all of that. Well, a lot of that gets eliminated when you're just dealing with someone's face on a Zoom call. And so that means you've got to work really hard at creating uh, communication strategies to overcome this thing called transactional distance so that it doesn't become uh, a demotivator or really a a, a negative in Mm -hmm. terms of the communication ability. Okay. Well, I want to shift now. We've been talking in the first half of the podcast about what it means to deliver online education and to have an online Uh, learning experience. But now I want to shift to the part that I think is uh, so significant, so frequently overlooked, so misunderstood, and yet you've helped us to do it so well here at Gateway. And that is, I want to talk about how do you develop Christian community 
and learning communities in an online environment. This is one of those things people say, well, you really can't build community online. And frankly, you can. Yeah. It, it hasn't been done, and it's hard to do, but it can be done. And I want to talk about that now. It's hard to imagine visuals on a podcast, but if you're out there listening, I want you to imagine something now. I want you to imagine three circles. And I want those circles to be interlocking so that any two of them interlock and then all three of them interlock and overlap. And I think you'll know that kind of triangular shape I'm trying to get you to form in your mind. Or if you need to do it on paper, just draw three circles that all link together. These three circles are the three aspects of building Christian community in the context of an online educational framework. Now, the first circle is what we often think of and that is the relationship of student to content. So Kristen, what does it mean to emphasize student to content, and why is that important? Well, student to content is a relationship. So each of these uh, are a relationship. It's not just the reception of content. The student isn't just getting information, but they have to think about the information. They have to digest it. They have to um, reflect on it and how it might apply to them. So there's an engagement happening with the content. This is really vital because um, I was part of a few church Zoom experiences where we just needed fellowship, and that was real sweet, and it was really great. But if we, we kept doing it for some time, and over time it just felt like, where are we going with it? We, what we were lacking is content. Right. We needed the Bible, and we needed to think about how the Bible is changing us so that we had something to talk about right. <laughs> and something driving our fellowship together. And so it's really critical to have that content in there. It is. One of the concerns I've had, though, is that online education has been perceived to be just simply an information dump or a content overload, Right. meaning... Online education is about you log in, watch this video, you log in, read this paper, you log in, get this information, and that's enough. Now, it's important, but it's not enough. Now we get to the second circle. Mm -hmm. The second circle in building online community is not just student to content, it's student to leader. It's having real interactivity and connectivity with the leader. Why is that important, and how do you facilitate that in an online context? Yeah, this is a really uh, vital component as well, and it's also a relationship because uh, the leader is uh, setting the tone for the entire community. So if we're trying to build community, it's not an inner, it's not, uh, it is an interpersonal situation where uh, a relationship is forming between multiple members of the community, and the, the instructor, the leader of the group, has uh, the responsibility to set the tone and the atmosphere and make sure they're modeling gospel transformation and vulnerability and helping people think more deeply about the content and helping facilitate each member of the community working together to be transformed. Yeah. You know, in an academic context like we have here at Gateway, let's talk about what that looks like here, and then I want to try to make some application to a church context. For example, here at Gateway, one of the things that we've tried to do is help faculty members to create times in their online classes and in their online learning communities where they that where students can interact with professors one-on-one. -on -one. So, for example, we'll say that we want faculty to be online for 30 minutes to an hour each week, kind of having what you might call open office hours. 
Uh, how have you seen that facilitate this connectivity between student and uh, teacher or student and leader? Well, what it does is it fights against that transactional distance. The mm -hmm. more opportunities that you can connect personally with the leader, the less uh, likely you are to misunderstand the content that you're trying to learn and you're able to apply the content to your life. And so I see it happening in those live sessions where we have Zoom interactions, but not just the hour that they plan to discuss with students, but coming a little bit early. Mm -hmm. and hanging out and talking with students and asking them how the weather is in the other side of the country and afterwards where they're kind of fin finishing their thoughts on things and they're able to stay afterwards. It's those, it's those above and beyond times uh, that really make the difference, I think, for our faculty, uh, even calling our students. When they notice a student is have struggling with a topic, um, I've had more than one faculty member just pick up the phone and call them and have an interaction with them, a more personal interaction. It makes a big difference. You know, one of the things that uh, a longtime faculty member here told me once, he liked teaching in the online community because he actually had a record of how many times the student uh, logged in, how many times they asked questions, how many times they uh, raised their hand, mm -hmm. and he could see which students were lagging in participation. He said, in a live classroom, I have an intuitive sense of that, but I don't really know yeah. how it's going week to week. Right. But he said, in the online world, I would use the technology to go back to a student and say, I notice you haven't connected lately, mm -hmm. or I notice I haven't heard from you a question in a while. How can I help to make sure you're still engaged with us? That was another way of assuring the student-to-leader connectivity. You also mentioned about uh, you know, not only setting aside something like office hours or a certain time when students could log in and connect, but also this come early, stay late type thing. Another thing that we've done here that I think would be really easy to do in a church context is that when you... Uh, have like 20, let's say 20 people in your class and you divide them into groups of four to go for small group discussion with these Zoom groups that can be created, then what do you do? You drop in as the mm -hmm. leader to each group and say, hey, how's it going in the group? Is there anything I need to talk with you about or anything I need to engage or anything like that? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing which you've already mentioned, and, and that is making it available to students to say, you know, if you'd like some one-on-one -on -one time, you know, email me, call me, or send me a chat message so that I can connect with you when this is over mm -hmm. about any personal issues that are emerging from this. You know, what we're trying to talk about here, Kristen, is moving beyond student to content. Yeah, we get that. But it's moving from student to content to I'm student to leader, student to teacher, and I want to have a genuinely uh, robust engagement with these students as a part of this online learning community or this online ministry that I'm trying to facilitate. That's right. The teacher needs to be uh, sensitive and observant. You have to read what they're writing. You have to listen to them when they're talking and take the extra step, just like you would in person. But on, on Zoom and online, you have to do it even more intentionally. But you can do it. You can read what they're saying, and you can read between the lines. Yeah. You can hear what they're saying, and you can say, hey, you have an issue that let's talk about later and address. Now, again, we're talking in this part of the podcast about creating community online. Uh, we've talked in the first part about online education and about how important it is to be able to do that well. But a part of online education is building Christian community. And in building Christian community, we've said it's student to content and student to leader. But now it's, there's one other important circle, and that is student to student. 
you know, this is one of the complaints that we hear sometimes. Oh, I don't think you can do online education at a seminary because you can't build those relationships with your classmates. We see it happening all the time yeah. in the online world as student-to-student -student relationships are built. So, Kristen, how do you help student-to-student -student relationships get strengthened in the online world? Well, you have to give them opportunities. Mm -hmm. You have to give them frequent and meaningful structured opportunities to engage with one another. So it's possible to do an online class, a very bad online class, where students never get to know one another at all. They never talk to one another. They only watch the videos and turn in the paper, like you said. That's a possible scenario. That's not what happens at Gateway. What happens at Gateway is every week there are dynamic ways fueled by the content, led by the professor, and happening between students where they have to engage with one another on critical issues and discuss it in discussion groups and maybe then it turns into a project that they're presenting to the rest of the class and as they're grappling with meaningful content they're being led by the professor through his or her modeling and engagement they're doing this together and they're forming community mm -hmm. community happens while this engagement and thoughtfulness is happening in the class. It's not like everybody got together and let's let's try to make a big community. You right. know, they're they're doing something with the word of God for a purpose together. Right. And that builds community. That is so wise. You know, in our online program here and these kind things that we're doing can be adapted to and used in church context as well. There's a couple of other things that 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 uh, that I think are important. One you have a staff person who spends a lot of time reaching out to online students and reaching out to uh, other virtual students that we have yeah. and uh, trying to just simply maintain those connections through social media contacts, through email contacts, and through other means. Talk a little bit about that. Why yeah. is it important to have someone, If and maybe in a church context, it might be a volunteer. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a paid person. And maybe you're talking about a smaller church that maybe has 100 people, so you've got a person who's just trying to keep up with another 20 or 30 that are in this online community. Yeah. Listen, we're not talking about having to create something here where you have thousands of dollars devoted to hundreds of thousands right. of people. What does it mean to really try to engage and assign a volunteer to have the task of building online community? Yeah, that's right. It's so important to give this uh, attention and, and meaningful attention. And um, so we do have a staff person. She's part-time, and her job is called the Online Student Community Coordinator. I've never heard of that before in my life. We created it. That's right. <laughs> and I love it so much. And at first, it was difficult because it's like you, you feel like you're, you're speaking out into the wide open, and you're not sure if you're going to get a voice back. Mm -hmm. And you send out emails and you're not sure if there, anybody's going to respond. And at first it was kind of slow, but she was dedicated. Every week she sends out emails, I want prayer requests from you students. Send them to us because we will be praying for them. Mm -hmm. We are going to have an online event and we want you to be there. She called them out by name and asked That's them to right. be part of it. And after time, so after a few months of doing this regularly, uh, we didn't even have to ask for prayer requests anymore. They just send them in whether we want them or not. Right, and right. And we're able to connect with them on these critical issues that they have. And, and we found it's a great community for them because they might not have people in their direct local context that get ministry right. like we get it. And yeah. we're a safe place for them to share those things. And you mentioned something about you, you're you reaching out to these students about an, quote, online event. One that's of right. the things you do is a regular chapel here that's for the 
online student community. In fact, I spoke at this uh, this uh, at the end of this last semester. Mm-hmm. It's so awesome to log into that and see all these dozens of faces popping up on this Zoom screen. And then I was able to share my chapel message, which you suggested needed to be about 12 to 15 minutes, which I did. That was a great time frame. And then we went out of that uh, 12 to 15 minute chapel time into small groups. Uh-huh. And they all had questions that I had prepared, three questions, I think it was, for them to discuss the chapel message. And then I think your team had put together some follow up to that of when you got them back together in the large group, how you did that. Mm-hmm. You also did something else that was, I think, really cool. And that is, uh, you have giveaways that you put together, and, and they're not extravagant things. They're like gateway swag and some books that you've gathered. Mm-hmm. You have giveaways so that people are motivated to sign in or to, to log in, knowing that you know there's going to be some winners, there's going to be some celebration, there's going to be some good time as a part of this whole experience. And so it's a pretty invigorating community that comes together for these chapels periodically. It's the online chapel world, and I think you guys have done a great job facilitating that. You know, when you think about a church— that's really one of the things that churches are doing is this online worship service community. Uh, and too many are just thinking, all we need to do is just pump out our Sunday service and let people watch it when there's so much more mm. that could be done. And in fact, I said this on the podcast before, I, I in some ways discourage you from just pumping out your Sunday service. You'd be better off to create a message that was broken down into segments that had some reflection time built in, that invited people to come into these small group contexts for discussion, that had some leader interactivity built in, and had a way that people could respond immediately and get some immediate feedback. Man, Kristen, all these things can be done in a local church context, and what we're talking about here isn't so much something that's expensive or even that time-consuming, just something that requires intentionality to get done. That's right. Now, I will just close it out here by saying you you sort of have some things to remember when you're putting together one of these online experiences. The first thing is you call is a 20-minute rule. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I just think you should, if you're going to do a Zoom uh, session for like an hour or something like that, you need to just stick with one activity every 20 minutes. If, if you've gone more than 20 minutes doing the same thing, like a lecture or you're doing breakouts even for 20 minutes, you need to change it up after 20 minutes because people on Zoom will just lose connection and they need some variety (laughs) i think so i think 15 is even better but i like your 20 minute rule (laughs) and then the second thing you just mentioned is activity variety and that is don't just do the one thing my face talking to your face there needs to be some activity variety built in and your book probably gives a number of suggestions of how to do that you also mentioned that tech takes time what do you mean by that you have to account for the fact that people log in and log out, and they might not their internet might not zap on the way they wanted it to when they first log in, and their audio might not hook up the way they wanted it to. Yeah. So if you have every second of your entire hour planned to a T, then you're going to fall behind pretty quickly. And be frustrated. And they're going to be frustrated too. So you got to build into your teaching plan and your, your, uh, your, your community building time just knowing there's going to be some time that you're going to, quote, lose just because of the the technology. So this is another reason why people say online learning is worse, because you've got all these distractions. But listen, in-person has the same distractions. People get up and go to the bathroom. Uh, They're late to class because their car got caught in traffic, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I appreciate these suggestions. Don't forget the 20-minute rule. Variety of activity. Plan for technology to take some time and to make that a part of your plan. Hey, Kristen, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. 
you have helped us create some remarkable models of online education and online community here at Gateway. And the application of these things can make a real difference in local churches. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Listen, you're out there leading. You're trying to make your way forward and use technology to your advantage. Put into practice the things you've learned today. It'll improve your ministry. It'll make you more effective at what you do. It'll give you the best mechanisms and methodologies possible as you continue to advance in the online world. Do these things today as you lead on.